We all have problems. Amen. God, somebody should have said <laughs> Lord, we all have problems. Problems don't discriminate. Uh, young folks have problems. Old folks have problems. Amen. <laughs> Black folks have problems. White folks have problems. Hispanic folks have problems. Asian folks have problems. Poor folk have problems. Somebody over there said amen. But believe it or not, even rich folks, I know the poor folks don't believe that. Even rich folks have problems. Life is filled with problems. It's just a part of life. Even in school, when you are, uh, even in school, you are presented with problems that must be accurately solved in order to be promoted to the next level. Even in school, it happens. There are problems that are there. Each day brings about its own set of unique problems. Speaking of school and unique problems, most of y'all know that I'm in school again now, and you know, I've got problems. Because <laughs> I'm too old to be writing 10 and 15 page papers, Kevin, and that's a problem for me. <laughs> you know, y'all pray for me. <laughs> We all, though, have problems. They, they, they just come. They exist. Every now and then, as I was growing up, I can remember hearing my mama say, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And then, and then, and then most of us are familiar with Mr. Murphy. Mr. Murphy, who's credited with creating a law that says, if it can't go wrong, it will. It was the German philosopher Schopenhauer who said, life is an endless pain with a painful end. Shakespeare looks out on life from his vantage point and says, life is a tragic comedy played over and over again with only slight changes in costume and scenery. The late poet and playwright Paul Lawrence Dunbar articulates his thoughts on this in his poem entitled Life when he says, a crust of bread and a corner to sleep in, a minute to smile and an hour to weep in, a pint of joy to a pick of trouble, a, and never a laugh of the moans come double. And that, Dunbar says, is life. All of this, Schopenhauer, Shakespeare, Dunbar, what Mama said, what Mr. Murphy said, what I told you, and what you experience, it, 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 it can sound a little distressing. But you need to know that for every problem you face in life, there is a divine plan. No matter how big it is, no matter how small your problem is, God has a plan. Are situations that are often engineered by God, often to bring us face to face with our deficiencies so that we might view his sufficiency as the only alternative. So often we look to ourselves and we look to our own, our own uh, wisdom to try to figure things out, but God will allow us to have problems Amen. so that we will learn to trust 
and depend only on him. Every title for God and his son Jesus could also be a synonym for problem solver. Everything you've ever seen God called, everything you've ever seen Jesus called could be a synonym for problem solver. Wonderful counselor, that's a problem solver. Mighty God, problem solver. Everlasting Father, problem solver. Prince of Peace, problem solver. Yahweh, problem solver. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That means he solves my problems. Jehovah Shalom means he brings peace where there's problems. Jehovah Rapha means when I'm sick, he solves the problem of my illness. He's Savior, which means he solved a huge problem. We'll talk about that later. He's my advocate, which means he stands in my place. Resurrection and the life. He's a problem solver. Lord of lords. Problem solver. King of kings. Problem solver. High priest. Problem solver. Living one. Bread of life. Messiah. Alpha and Omega. Problem solver. The true vine. Problem solver. The good shepherd. Problem solver. Light of the world. Not that light. <laughs> light of the world. Problem solver. The door. Problem solver. The word. Are y'all following me? Is this making any sense? Problem solver. The chief cornerstone solved the problem. Redeemer. Anybody here ever, ever realized that we needed to be redeemed? Problem solver. The lamb. Problem solver. On the other side, flip side of that, the lion. Problem solver. The way. Problem solver. The truth. Problem solver. And the life. Everything we know God as can be a synonym for problem solver. In our text, we meet a nameless woman who has some problems. And she seeks help from God by way of his prophet, Elisha. Elisha, my brothers and sisters, for those of you that don't know, and most of you do, was a prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he was the successor of Elijah. Elisha served for about 50 years during, during the reigns of Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoaz, and Joash. He was God's mouthpiece to God's people. He was advisor to kings. He helped those in need, and he performed many miracles in his lifetime. Elijah was called, Elisha uh, was called to ministry during and through Elijah's reign. He asked for, you'll remember, and received a double portion of Elijah's spirit and ended up doing and performing uh, double the amount of miracles that Elijah performed. He was present when Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind, and he had asked if he could have a double portion of what he saw all over Elijah. And Elijah said, well, if you're there, 
when I leave here, then you'll be blessed with the love. He was there and he witnessed this great event. And because of that, he receives is played out in his life. He does greater things, performs double the miracles. This woman, 2 Kings chapter 4, this woman has an encounter with Elisha. And she begins to share her problems with him in verse 1. Let's look at some of her problems. She, she, she begins to list. She doesn't necessarily list them, but if, if we break it down and look at it, it becomes a list to me. She's, she, she's just talking with Elisha, seeking help. But, but in her conversation, in her dialogue with him, she reveals that she has a list of problems. First one is this. First one reminds us this. Her husband, who was one of the sons of the prophets, who, by the way, Elisha led this group, believe this group of followers called the sons of the prophets. This woman's husband was one of those sons. He was faithful. He was God-fearing man. But the problem is that he's dead. That's her first problem. Her, her husband, her beloved husband, is dead. That's a problem. Not only that, she reveals in verse 1, that's not her only problem. Her problem is she's deep in debt beyond that which she's able to pay. That's a problem. But here's her biggest problem. According to the Hebrew law regarding debt and servitude, the creditor has come to take her sons as payment for the debt that she's in. They've come to enslave her sons to pay off the debt. That is a serious problem. She's got, she's got these problems going on. Uh, uh, now, though, that we see her problems in verse 1, as we continue to read through this passage, the plan, you do know there's a plan. The plan begins to unfold as we continue to read. There is a time-tested, tried and true process to problem-solving when dealing with God. And I want to share with I want to share that process with you as revealed in the story of this lady who has some issues. First thing that must happen in order to solve problems, for God to, to, to work through us and to lead us to solving our problems is this. First thing we got to do is we have to, in every situation, assess our resources. Assess your resources. It's in the text. It's in verse uh, 2. Look at, what, look at what Elijah says to her after she pours out her heart to him and, and shares with him what her problems are. Our biggest problem is, look at what, how he responds. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You got to assess your resources. God will challenge us to take an inventory of what it is that we have. He'll challenge us to take an inventory both of the obvious things we have 
and of the not so obvious things we had. had. Look at how, look at what she says. She says, uh, I have nothing in the house. You know how many times we, we, we think that? How many times we think that we have nothing when really we have a lot? God says, take an inventory of what you have. She thought what she had was nothing, but she really had a lot. Can I tell you what she had? She had two sons, and she had some oil. She thought she had nothing. But you know what the biggest thing she had, the greatest thing she had? She had God on her side. Yes, sir. And she responds to the prophet when he asks her, what do you have? She responds the way that we often respond. She says, I have nothing. She had some stuff. She thought she had nothing. There, there's something that you are ignoring right now. No matter what your problem is, no matter what your issue is, no matter what your situation is that you're facing, you have something right now that you are, that I am taking for granted. There's something that we possess right now that is the key that unlocks the door to problem solving. As long as we trust in God, God says you already have it, you're just overlooking it. There's something we have that's very valuable. God had, has given you, has given us what we need. It's, it, it, watch this. It's not what somebody else has. Because that's often our response. That's often what we think. Sometimes we say it out loud, Connie. I wish I had what they had. I wish I, you know. I told you about that before. Be careful about looking at that green grass, right? God, it's what we, or it's not what somebody else has, it's what we have. So watch this, Elisha didn't bring the oil. The oil was already there. She was just taking it for granted. God, now, now, now I know she just, she, she had just a little bit, but, but how many of you know that God can take your little bit Yes, sir and turn it into a lot. He can, he can take it, he can press it down, he can shake it together, he can make it overflow. You remember the 5,000 men that were hungry and they only had two fish and five loaves of bread. Somebody tell me what happened. Yes, sir. They, the disciples said, we only have this boy's lunch and we've got, you gather all these people out here on the hill, on this hillside. Do you propose that we're going to feed these folks? You know what Jesus said, Kimmy? Jesus said, bring it to me. <laughs> right? I know you perceive that you don't have much or that you don't have anything, but God can make something out of nothing. He can make something out of nothing. And so, here's what we have to do. We have to be careful to take an inventory. And that's what Elisha suggests to the woman by way of a question. God poses that same question. What do you have in the house? You remember he asked Moses, what is that? Moses tries to get out of his assignment. I don't speak well. I, I, I won't be able to stand before Pharaoh. I'm I, 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 I making all these excuses. And God simply says to him, listen, 
You don't really know who understand who I am. What is that in your hand? Right? What is that in your hand? And God says the same thing to this woman and the same thing to us. What is that? Moses didn't realize what he had in his hand. He had a staff in his hand, but God said, throw it on the ground. Let me show you something. I can take nothing or a little bit and make something out of it. Throws it on the ground, becomes a serpent, and Moses seems to get the picture. He needs some more persuasion, some more persuading. But God says to all of us, assess your God-given resources, assess what you have, and stop looking at what other people have. I told you before in the introduction that all of us have our own unique problems. And just because you don't have as much materially as the next person, don't think Amen. that you're less. Don't think that you don't already have what you need to make it. God will take what you got and multiply it. But that's not the only thing that must happen. First thing is, you got to assess your resources. But then, what I see that happens next is this. Once you do that, you got to keep an open mind. Let me tell you the reason why I say that. It's in, it's in the text in verses 3 through 6. Uh, you got to keep an open mind. You've got to be willing, not just you, I keep saying that, all of us, me too. Got to be willing, because I'm guilty also, right? Got to be willing to abandon the box. Got to be willing to abandon the box. God's plan or his solution to your problem may not make much sense initially. Anybody here can witness that God has told you something or show, shown you something that didn't make much sense initially? Right? Uh, it may not make much sense initially, but that's where faith comes in. Faith has to be a part. God, uh, 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 God says to her through Elisha, he says, go Borrow empty vessels. Now, I mean, come on now. How is that going to help me? Because if it had been me, or if you're honest, if it had been you, you probably would have said to Elisha, have you uh, lost your mind? I'm already in debt. And you're telling me that the, the solution to my problem is to go borrow. Right? Go borrow. It, it's strange. I'm already in debt. You're telling me to go back. Now, watch this. That's not always a solution to your, to your debt problem. Right. Listen. Some of you, uh, you got to be, be sure that it was God that said that and not you. No, you know, that, that's not normally. Let me just help you. It's not normally good advice to try to borrow your way out of debt. Unless God says, get up, go and borrow empty vessels. Right? Because, you know, you have to be careful. So what we, we'll try to come up with, with, with things. And God says, no, just do what I say. Right? It doesn't make sense. It's, it's unconventional. It's irrational. But he will use the unconventional. He will use the irrational to help us to make our way to a solution. To our, he says, go borrow. Can you imagine this widow woman, who everybody in town knows is in debt. Everybody has seen the commotion at her house. Everybody has seen the creditors come to her door uh, looking to, to take her sons into servitude. Everybody knows what's going on. And then she bursts from the house 
and starts knocking on doors, trying to borrow some things. Can you imagine the scene of that? Can you imagine what that looked like? Here's this woman knocking on doors. Uh, can I borrow? What, what do you do when somebody knocks on your door that you don't maybe recognize? She's knocking on doors. She, she's excited about what the prophet has said. And she, she's knocking on doors. And, and when she knocks on the door, can you imagine the expression on her? She had to be compelling. There had to be excitement all over her face for her neighbors who knew she didn't have anything to then let her borrow their pots. There was something that happened on the inside of her that caused the stir that showed up on the outside that said to those that she was talking to, I have been given instruction by God to do this. Can you help me? And they began to let her borrow empty pots. Look, it gets stranger. Look at what he said. He said, don't, don't just go and borrow pots. Go and borrow pots but not just a few, right? So don't just borrow a few, borrow many pots, not a few. So the prophet says to her, and God says to us, abandon the box and think big. Sometimes we think too small. We're gonna see evidence in a minute of how uh, it limited her blessing. Sometimes we don't think big enough. Sometimes we limit God. We stay in this confined box and we try to put God in this confined box. Uh, this is not prosperity preaching. This is simply saying that God wants us to think big. This in the text. He says, go borrow a whole bunch of pots. That's my translation. Right? Think big when you go. So that's strange. You want me to just go and get a whole lot of these pots. Then it gets stranger, he says in verse 4, then when you gather them, come back to the house and shut the door. Right? It's strange. Go and borrow them, come back home, shut the door, and it, it, simply he's saying, what I'm about to do is not for everybody to see. This is something that is not, that, that there were people probably, uh, uh, you know how you've got nosy neighbors. And they've already seen this woman running around the neighborhood borrowing pots. And so they're wondering, what is this crazy lady going to do with all these empty pots? We already know she's in debt. We already know she doesn't have much. What is she planning to do? So you can just imagine that people were curious, trying to see, trying to peer in. And God says through Elisha, Go in, close the door so that nobody can see what I'm getting ready to do. It's strange. God will do strange. You listen. You can't just allow. You, you got to be careful. Right? About share. You remember what happens to Joseph when he shares his dream? Sometimes God says, this is just between you and me. And when the fulfillment comes, when the solution to the problem comes, I will be glorified because everybody will see that it had to have been me. But while we're doing this, nobody needs to know what's going on. Sometimes God will show us something or lead us to a blessing and we want to just 
We want to let everybody know. Look at me. All right. Yes, sir. Sometimes it's pride that takes over. We want people, that's one of the faults, one of the many faults of social media. I know social media has a good side, but, 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 but it has a downside. Somebody say amen. Because everybody wants to post the good pictures. The good stuff. Do you ever see the bad stuff? According to Facebook, nobody ever has a bad day. Everybody's living their best life now. Everybody's got pots full of oil. Right? But you don't see what happens when the pictures are not being taken. You don't see the creditors that have come. Not to take the sons, but to take the car. Or to take the house. Right? You don't see all of that. And God says, I am getting ready to bless you, but don't put it on Facebook. Close the door. This is a private thing. When it happens, everybody will know that it was me, but you don't need to be bragging about it right now. Let's, let's, let's go inside and do this alone. God says, abandon the box thinking, I'm getting ready to do something different. Shut the door. And watch this, verse 6. When there were no more vessels, the oil stopped. So oil is flowing. And it seems like, it sounds like, the oil, as long as there were available pots, the oil would have continued to flow. The only reason the oil stopped flowing is because there were no more pots. And, and, and all I'm trying to say is, God wants us to think big. He wants us to know that he is one who's able to do anything. He is a big God, and he says to her, you don't have any more pots? The oil stops because she didn't gather enough pots. Right? Now the problem is getting ready to be solved, but God had a big plan for her. And, but the oil stopped because the pots ran out. And so God says to us, keep an open mind, abandon the box, because what I will prepare for you, what I will lead you to, will not be ordinary. It will not be necessarily something that you used to. Maybe it's something, I can imagine she's probably never done that before, right? But you know what? Faith is that thing that leads us to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Just knowing that, you know, so her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. So that says that he, and, and it also says he feared God. He was a faithful man. So you know what that says to me? It says to me that she has and her family has in their history had some prior experiences with God. And because of her prior experiences with how God does things and how faithful he is, she doesn't question. What does it say to us? All of us have had prior experiences and God says do something that doesn't make sense, doesn't sound right, and we question, and this woman just said, I'll do it. Think outside the box. Keep an open mind. Lastly, if we assess the resources, if we keep an open mind and think God can do anything, then lastly, you know what we must do in order to, to solve problems by listening and obeying God and trusting him? Prepare 
to be overwhelmed. All right. God will always overwhelm us with what he does. Look at what it says in verse 7. This is it. So, so we see the problem. We see these steps along the way. But the plan itself is not revealed until verse 7. She came and told the man of God, right? And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. She's, she's done this. She's amazed. She's blown away at what God has done. Uh, this miracle mirrors the miracle that Elijah performed for the widow woman after he leaves uh, the brook where there's no food. He goes, God sends him to Zarephath and the, there's a widow woman there who's preparing to make a cake with just a cruise of oil and some meal for her son so they can die and God multiplies for her. This miracle mirrors that one. Elisha has performed this miracle for her. She's amazed. I don't know if she knows that story about Elijah. She goes and tells Elisha, would you look at it? Can you look at this? Look at all this oil. Uh, look at what God has done. The oil has multiplied, but she's not quite sure how this will help her with her problem. Not quite sure. What, Elisha, am I supposed to do with all of this oil? It was amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful miracle. It's amazing, but how does this help me? Elisha says, go sell it and pay the debt. Go sell it. This oil was likely olive oil, which was very valuable. It was used for several different things. It was used for cooking. It was used for fuel. It was even uh, used for anointing. And so it was a very valuable oil. And now she has an abundance of it. And Elisha says to her, in order to solve your problem, go sell it. Pay your debt. That, my friends, is what I like to call flow. That's flow. God has opened the windows of heaven and he's poured her out a blessing that she doesn't have room enough to receive. He solved her problem. It's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4.19 when he says, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That is the flow of God. That's how God makes a way for us where there seems to be no way. But what I love about the God I serve is that he's not just a God of flow. He's a God of overflow. Yes, sir. He says, go pay your debt. That's not the end because you've got enough oil left over to live off the rest. That is what Paul has in mind in Ephesians 3.20 when he says, now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's overflow. Above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We serve a God who is the ultimate problem solver. I know it's true because he solved the greatest problem known to man, the sin problem. He solved the greatest problem 
He, not just this woman's problem, not just uh, our immediate problem. He solved the greatest problem known to man. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 helps us to prove that because it's in that verse where it says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to solve our sin problem, to, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He is the ultimate Problem solver. 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us to see it as well. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He solved the sin problem. John 3.16, all of us know it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever who believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He solved the sin problem. Isaiah 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. He, we've, we've turned everyone to his own way and God, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He solved the sin problem. How did he solve? We just read how he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, our problems, the sin problem, has been solved. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a divine problem solver. You always have a solution. You always have a plan for us. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your way. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for all that you do. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.